0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 46 of Swimming Upstream. We've got another good one on tap for you guys today. Recently released an article on fishonthefarm.com about the Blue Wahoo season recap. But to get even more information on this special season for Pensacola, going to get it right from the source himself. Man that was there pretty much the whole way through the Pensacola. It's uh, their lead broadcaster, Eric Bremer. So Eric, man, thanks for coming in to talk a little Wahoo's life with us today. Really appreciate it. I know you guys are busy up there planning out some cool events coming up, which I'll get to later. But yeah, man, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. How are we doing?
1: Thanks for having me, Alex. It's a good time of year to be down in Florida. I spent the holidays up in Minnesota where we had wind chills of about 30 below Fahrenheit. So yeah. uh, enjoying a nice sunny day uh, in front of the water in Pensacola.
0: Yeah, definitely. hear you uh, for sure. Definitely sounds like a better time. Uh, anyways, I don't do cold. Um, I'm, I was born and raised in Florida. and lived in San Diego. So uh, me and cold, I, I don't do it. So a little spoiled down here in florida but uh i think you're getting used to it uh just fine (laughs) so yeah man of course you're kind of a new face around uh, the wahoos this is her first year as a broadcaster in 2022 uh taking over of course for chris gragiola who uh, went to another warm place i guess back uh home for him in arizona um got to know him pretty well we've got to know you pretty well just through talking on twitter text wherever else we talked but um it's cool to have you on today um so, yeah, I just want to talk really quick about a brief background for you, for those of us who don't know uh, who you are, where you came from other than Minnesota, like you just said, um, and how you got here to be with, with Pensacola. Yeah, so uh, Pensacola uh,
1: is my fifth minor league stop, uh, five seasons, five different places. Uh, I went to Northwestern University, had a chance to call some Big Ten athletics as a student and really cut my teeth uh, in a very welcoming environment. I had a summer in the Cape Cod League uh, with the Wareham Gateman when I was a college student. Uh, Once I began my professional career, I broke in in this league, the Southern League, as an assistant broadcaster for the Biloxi Shuckers, who were the AA affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. In 2018, I moved on to the Brewers AAA affiliate, the dearly departed Colorado Springs Sky Sox. From there, I spent a couple of years in the Nationals organization with their high A affiliate, the Potomac Nationals. And then uh, the franchise moved to Fredericksburg to become the Fredericksburg Nationals as their low A affiliate. There was a pandemic year in between there and then uh, moved on to Pensacola. And it was a great first year on and off the field.
0: Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like you've been, as we know, around uh, for a bit, uh, as well as in the Southern League for a bit there with Biloxi. Um, I always like to ask broadcasters this, and I'm going to ask you as well, on behalf of those listening who may want to follow in your footsteps, we know, of course, this is very competitive. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to young men and women that want to talk about baseball for their job, because who doesn't want to do that? Um, I get to kind of do it on the side of what I do, you know, for my day job, I don't get to do it full time like you do, but like I said, ton of competition in this field. Um, so I like to ask you guys this, what did you do personally to set yourself apart from the rest of the competition and get where you're at today? Well, I would never say that the things that I prioritize are not
1: things that my colleagues do. Uh, You know, I I do have things that I try and put front and center uh, like authenticity, I think is really important, especially in baseball because it's a daily broadcast three hours a day And if you are not yourself on the air, I think people can find that out pretty quickly. So I know, Alex, you spent a lot of time watching the Blue Wahoos this year. And uh, hopefully I am the same person off the air as I am on the air. That means that when I get excited, you can tell and you know that it's real, it's genuine. When I'm frustrated or disappointed, which happens from time to time, uh, hopefully that comes through. And uh, if people are taking the step of welcoming me into their living room, their car, their front porch, wherever they're engaging with the broadcast. uh, I want them to feel like they know me. And I think authenticity really goes a long way. Um, Another thing that I think is really important is just recognizing my place in all of this, knowing that I'm not bigger than the game. It's not about me. Uh, We had a chance collectively to, more in the loss of Vin Scully this past year, but also celebrate what he stood for. And I think that was probably the North star for all the people who have followed in Vin's footsteps over the years, recognizing that you're accountable to your audience, to the players on both teams. And if you're working with someone else to your broadcast partner. Uh, but it's not about you, it's not making it about yourself. Uh, you just need to make sure that you're accountable to other people. So with the fans, again, be authentic, know what they're tuning in for and it's more often than not they're tuning in for the game uh for the players on both teams you want to make sure that you're doing right by them uh I make sure never to criticize effort and I want to be present in both clubhouses uh so if there's something that I said that might have been misconstrued or something that a, a player had a question about I want to be around and that did come up from time to time uh you know this year where there were things that you know, briefly came up that a player might've heard or misheard and every single time we can talk it out and uh, make sure that we can move past it. And I think developing that credibility within the clubhouse also allows you to get to know the players better. And when you get to know the players better, then you get better stories out of them and you can get to know them as people, hopefully help the audience learn who they are as well. And then finally, yeah, i worked solo most of the season but I've worked with partners before and a couple times this year in the broadcast we welcomed in Kevin Sochae who is a Pensacola native won a world series with the Phillies in 1980 and uh, spent several decades as a really really good scout professional scout and when I have Kevin Sochet in the booth with me again you have to have a certain amount of ego to be confident enough in yourself to be on a live broadcast 3 hours a night but again it's not about me uh and I do not know as much about baseball as Kevin Sochet does. So, my job is not to show how smart I am or how dumb I am. It's about filling off my broadcast partner's talent and making sure that their knowledge can be accessible to the audience. And hopefully, that comes through over the course of a long season. But, uh, you know, Alex, as I said, you probably, beyond people who live in Pensacola and people who are related to the players, you probably spent more time watching and listening than uh, most other people this year so I want to hear from you and this is not a me question this is a a we question
0: what collectively did we do on the broadcast that uh, you engage with this year yeah man so I mean obviously you know I do a lot of stuff through social and everything so of course I'm, I'm I'm through there a lot so but when I'm not on there and games are on and games are going on I have my computer on I'm in front of the computer or computers I should say I sometimes have multiple games going on at once but I think it's 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 what what speaks to your guys' ability to keep the audience engaged is just a variety of stuff that you guys talk about. Like you said, you had different people in the booth this year. You had experts in the booth this year. Um, you guys did pre and post game with players, which I thought was really awesome. So really engageable broadcasts that you guys run. I think it's a really good job that you guys do up there, uh, yourself included. So um, yeah, it's just a credit to you guys to keep the audience engaged, whether it's through the radio, through a computer, while you're watching ML- MLB TV or whatever it may be. Um, and then, of course, the on-field play this year was, of course, really exciting with the playoff run and everything else. But past that, um, just really, really engageable broadcast that I think you guys bring to the table. And I think it's a credit to everything that you just said, just creating that culture where, you know, you know everybody and everybody knows you. And, you know, you have a bit of a better connection. Uh, you know, if some of these players are only going to be there for maybe a year, maybe not even a year, maybe a week, whatever it may be. But you could just walk up, like you said, and said, hey, I'm, I'm Eric. You know, this is what I do. I'm the broadcaster. If you have questions, let me know. I think that's important just to make that connection for however long you spend with these players, coaches, whatever it may be. So I think that's a great message. Uh, but overall, I think you guys did an, an awesome job this year. It's exciting to get to know you, of course, through uh, your talent over the radio. And that's what I think I said, just creating that connection, right? Like, you know, even before I talked to you for the first time, I felt like I kind of knew a little bit about you and knew where you came from and stuff like that. And that's because you kind of, like I said, we're just honest with yourself and audience, honest with your audience, which I think is really great. So oh, I appreciate that. That's, you know, it is a team effort. We've got
1: a really great production crew up here. We've got director, producer, camera operators, replay coordinators. And I know how much those video highlights mean to you and the people who cover this team on a daily basis. So we really take pride in that. Uh I'm looking out at the field right now, we're working on the batter's eye and hoping to have a new mounted center field camera for next year, which I think will really help, uh, you know, Next time Yuri Perez or Dax Fulton strikes out 13 batters, we should have a a really good straight on center field camera view. So those are the things that, you know, it it might not make it on my professional reel uh, for play by play, but those are the things that I concern myself with. And uh, again, it's a multifaceted effort. There are a lot of people, a lot of good people who uh, work really hard to make it a really good product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Going up all the way up to Quint, talk to him. Uh, you know, a little bit ago, and he was telling us about how the grass is now the same as the grass at Lone Duke Park, which kind of stood out to me as like, really, really honing in on those players' development. You know, it's not exact, because of course you guys are outside and it's a dome here in Miami, but still, um, just steps like that, that this team takes and the organization takes to really commit to these players and its employees like you. So, yeah, I mean, I think up and down, uh, it's, it's really been exciting to have this partnership with you guys. And for what, nine more years, eight more years? Yeah, eight more years at least. So, and hopefully after that. So, um, so yeah, man, uh, really awesome. Really, really been great to get to know this team and you as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess just back to a couple more that I have on the team as a whole. So, you know, 2021 season, as I'm sure, you know, ended kind of prematurely um, team at the Wahoos were playing, you know, it's going through COVID um, the last series of the season was canceled. I think they more than made up for it this season with this elongated playoff run that wound up being a successful playoff run, which of course we know. Um, so If you could just, I guess, as a whole, rather than what you said at the beginning, that it was fun and great, uh, maybe some some more adjectives to really sum up this this season there for Pensacola and how special it really was. Well, I think the thing that
1: I'll remember about this team beyond the ultimate success winning the championship was how different the team looked in the first and second halves. You look at our first half team, which was the one that qualified us for the playoffs as the first half champions of the division that was a really good bullpen. I mean, there may be four or five guys who were coming out of the bullpen for us who may be regular relievers, either for the Marlins or another organization down the road. And then, you know, starting pitching, we already saw Brian Hoeing uh, at the major league level. He made his double-A debut for us in April. Uh, So all those guys going up through the system, it was a really rough year for the Marlins in terms of bad injury luck. And that created a ripple effect throughout the entire minor league system where your double a guys were sent up to triple a your triple a guys were sent up to miami so by the time we got along to the second half we had a very different looking team and i'm not gonna lie there were some growing pains uh we had to figure out okay what what does the rotation look like now what does the bullpen look like with colton hawk going up to triple a who had been kind of the guy in the ninth inning for a year and a half. Okay, who's gonna close games? Well, it's gonna be Sean Reynolds, a guy who two years ago was a position player. Uh, there was there was a, a moment, there were a few weeks there where I think internally, we were skeptical looking down at the field that this was going to be a competitive playoff roster. Uh, the final week of the season here at home, playing against Biloxi, the Blue Wahoos lost five out of the final six games and just didn't get anything going at the plate. Paul McIntosh was injured and it uh became clear that he wasn't coming back for the playoffs. But then the best players, the best teams figure out a way. And that's what the Blue Wahoos were able to do come playoff time. Lost game one in the division series. They were trailing five-nothing going into the final couple innings of game two with their backs against the wall. Furious comeback. Nasim Nunez, of all people, hitting his first double-A home run to give us the win. And then game three of the uh, division series, again, here at home in front of the home fans, was one of the best games I've ever seen. Dax Fulton striking out 13 guys over six innings and in, what his fifth or sixth the double-A start? Really just incredible. And then you get the run you need in the bottom of the eighth. Thomas Jones makes a great catch against the wall to seal it. And then we do it all over again in the championship series against a really good Tennessee Smokies team losing game one. You have to go up to Knoxville, the greater Knoxville area and win on the road twice in games two and three. They did that. They won game two, thanks to a seven run two out rally in the fifth or sixth inning. And then, uh, between the Yuri Perez eight strikeouts to start the game and the Kobe Fletcher Vance go-ahead grand slam in the ch- de- decisive championship game, that was another really memorable moment and uh, great way to end the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really exciting. Um, first time the Wahoos stood alone as champion. Um, they were a co-champion um, in the year of hurricane. I believe there's a hurricane that was threatening. Uh, the Hurricane area. Irma in 2017 yeah exactly yeah so they uh they canceled the championship series so they were named co-champions but the first time the Wahoos hoisted Southern League championship title by themselves so historic moment great moment of course for the team for the organization um, as the Marlins organization too. just see these players they won they talked to Sean a bit ago Sean Reynolds a bit ago the Marlins won something and you know the double a championship that's not something to sneeze at you know this isn't the i think danny mentioned it a little bit ago it's not the fcl no no knock on them it's not the complex league it's not dsl this is double a baseball this is a big level um there's major league players or future major league players that are going to be playing and are playing at this level so to to win at that level and do it the way that you guys did i think it was really impressive and a great moment um but yeah i guess i just have a couple more on on the team as a whole for you um we talked to smoke in in um in the preseason um, and he was saying about, you know, how he he really sees pitching being the strength of this team. And I think he was right uh, as a whole that for the course of the whole season, pitching was the strength of the Blue Wahoos. So, um, yeah, as a new face around the Marlins, and around the Marlins organization uh, this last season, what impressed you so much about the staff, you know, how they develop pitching, including the coaches and stuff like that? Like what kind of impression did pitching leave on you? I think what impressed me the most was,
1: the marlins ability to stick to their plan even when things kind of went sideways at other levels of the organization this year there were so many unforeseen challenges that the marlins faced this year with the major league rotation the major league bullpen and people had to step up but i don't think they ever really interrupted or disrupted any of their top prospects long-term plans yuri perez had a plan as an opening day starter at 18 years old. And while there were some ups and downs in his season, I would say at the end of the year, the Marlins have to be pretty pleased with his overall trajectory and the way that he ended his season with striking out the first eight batters in a decisive championship game. That's a nice thing to hang your hat on and go into the winter with. Other guys that we saw took steps forward, Dax Fulton uh, in the bullpen, Josh Simpson, Eli Villalobos, uh, many others. They had a plan. Dave Island deserves a lot of credit as our double-A pitching coach. Here's a guy who has won multiple major league World Series championships, and he brings that experience and that credibility down to a double-A team. When he says something to a young pitcher, people listen. And that they were able to stay on message and keep their players, their pitchers, focused on the ultimate goal is really something that they deserve credit for. And I think that's something that has been building for a long time and will continue to grow as the Marlins continue to, uh, you know, build up their major league product throughout their internal minor league system.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pitching on this team is definitely the strength of the organization as a whole, including in Pensacola Um, past Yuri and Dax. You got multiple other guys you can talk about that definitely have good ceilings and futures as major league players. Some of which you'll probably see in Pensacola this year. My projections come to be true, but yeah. Um, great stuff there with pitching um, really excited about the pitching development uh, overall for the Marlins. Um, like you said, you saw guys going up, like I think, and you're um, you know, he's not a top prospect. He went up, there's hundred miles an hour, but they're able to call up guys like that because of the depth and not interrupt. Maybe somebody like uh, Simpson uh, out of the bullpen or, yeah. or allow Reynolds to keep developing as a pitcher, like you said. So yeah, just having that freedom to do that, you know, you can call up those maybe deeper down guys that are still good players still get de- production out of them. At some level at the major league level, I think is it's great all the way through the if, if you follow only the major league
1: Marlins, there were a lot of moves made that you probably weren't aware of at the beginning right. of the season, but really bore fruit, you know, picking up Kobe Fletcher Vance as a yeah. minor league rule five guy and being able to slot him in at third base every single day. Well, that meant that you can give Jose Devers second base and try to continue his development. Uh picking up a guy like Norrell Gonzalez in a minor trade from the astros organization he had a couple of grand slams for us came up big many times and to have that thump in the middle of your order meant that say griffin conine could try and work through his slumps at the plate and not have to press uh, quite as much knowing that there was someone else that they could rely on to hit some home runs picking up aj ladwig in mid-may after he was released by the tigers organization I don't think anyone really blinked twice at that. When I found out that we were signing AJ Ladwig to take, I'm not sure whose rotation spot it was. It might've been uh, Brian Hoeing at that time, but who's AJ Ladwig? Then the guy shows up and because he's 29, 30 years old, forgive me, AJ, I don't know your exact age, but because he's not one of these young guys that they have to worry about babying his arm, that's an ungenerous term, but you know what I mean? They can go out and just give him seven innings. And as long as he's pitching well, they will let him go and save the arms of some of their younger guys. Same with Cody Mincy. You know, uh, Cody Mincy is a guy who's been around a long time. He's a grinder. He's played in like a dozen different countries professionally for baseball. But having Cody Mincy on your team means that you don't have to rely as much on your younger guys. So those were some under-the-radar acquisitions that were made that I think really helped the Blue Wahoo's bottom line and ultimately helped the entire Marlins organization.
0: Yeah, those those uh, those not as highly heralded moves matter. They they really do um, because, like I said, it just gives you the freedom to let the rest of those, those big names that you do know really hone in on their development. So I think it's a good point, really important all the way through for you guys this year were some of those role player guys, uh, some of which wound up in major league baseball. I talked about AJ Ladwick, he made a start in Major League Baseball. I talked about Zabala, he was there. Now you got these 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 higher end guys, you know, the guys that you know, the guys that you talk about in top 30 prospect lists and stuff like that. You see them coming up because their development was encouraged by those role player guys doing their job. Absolutely so important, really important point. Um talk to me about the offense. So we talked about it a little bit um just a little bit ago. Um I think Overall, you know, if you look at overall numbers, it's not that impressive overall where you guys that wound up in the league. But I think you made a good point before about like just timely hitting. Like when they needed to get it done, they got it done. Some big moments, as you mentioned. Like I did not foresee no knock on this guy at all. I did not foresee Kobe Fletcher Vance hitting a grand slam in a championship game. He did it. Uh, really impressive. Uh, but yeah, when they needed to get it done, they got it done and leaned on their pitching, um, won some close games, won some not close games as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, Talk to us about the hitting. Like how 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 good was this team at just getting the hits when they needed to get them?
1: Oh, well, Kobe is a good example of a guy who just puts bat to ball, right? Okay. And the night before in Game Two of the championship series, Blue Wahoo's trailed, and then with two outs, they exploded for seven runs with a bunch of two-out hits. That doesn't happen if you're swinging and missing a ton. And while there was still some swing and miss on this team, I think that's just more a symptom of the modern game and the skill set that most players have. But you see a guy like Nassim Nunez, who I think got on base six times in one game without a hit. Yeah, That's not something that you can really teach, and that's something that makes you pretty slump-proof. If you're still getting on base and finding ways to contribute, given that Nunez is one of the fastest guys in baseball and is probably a major league-ready defensive shortstop, that's an interesting skill set. And over the course of a long season, while it's great to have guys who can hit home runs, your Griffin Conines of the world. Uh, I think it's really important to have people who can adjust their approach. I was just looking back through an interview I did with Will Banfield after he hit his first double-A home run in late August. And Banfield is a guy who his defensive reputation preceded him as he arrived here. But the book on him was that yeah, offense, there's still some work to do. He did that work, and he was one of our better hitters in the final month and a half of the regular season and then moving on into the playoffs by the way he also threw out five out of the six base dealers in the playoffs in six games so uh contributing on defense and on offense banfield said that his approach as we saw in uh his first double a home run his approach is to hit it to right center field he doubled off the top of the wall early in that game and then you adjust off the fastball if someone leaves a hanger an off-speed pitch then you're able to pull it by just adjusting that swing. That was where his first double a home run went. It was out to left, but it was after doubling off the right center wall earlier in that game. And I think a lot of guys coming up through the Marlin system have that approach that will serve them. Well, uh, just avoid swinging and missing, hit the ball with authority to all fields. And sometimes good things happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just think, like I said, like we both said earlier, um, you know, it, it's if you look at the numbers, you're like,, eh, well, I don't know what happened with that team, but they're champions for a reason because they got the hits when they really needed them the most. So And one more thing that I should note,
1: you know this is now 10 seasons under our belt here at Blue Wahoo Stadium. three different affiliations, the Reds, the twins, and now the Marlins, even though the offensive numbers were not great in comparison to the rest of the league, still the best offensive team we've ever had here. And given the conditions that we have exactly at sea level with a wind more often than not blowing in from right field, I think that really does suppress the offense and that we were able to see guys like Griffin Conine have really solid home run numbers and some other things across the board. It was actually our best offensive season in franchise history. So I think that speaks to some of the challenges uh, that we have hitting in this ballpark, but not a whole lot you can do about that.
0: Yeah, I kind of see it permeating through the system as well, like Beloit their new stadium is not hitter friendly. You guys, it's, I, I would say probably a smaller ballpark, but because of the wind and conditions, it's like not easy to get one out all the time. You know what I mean? And, so And maybe that's good preparation for Lone Depot park. Right, I mean, exactly. not
1: everyone's John Carlos Stanton. Yeah. I think the next great Marlins team might have offensive characteristics similar to what we saw in Pensacola this past year, a team that had success by putting the ball in play using speed Blue Wahoos had by far the most stolen bases in franchise history. We had Nassim Nunez, J.D. Orr, Victor Victor Mesa, and Ray Patrick Ditter all steal more than 20, and a couple of those guys stole significantly more than 20. Uh, that's a very fun brand of baseball to watch, and I think there are strategic advantages to it as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you kind of see the Marlins going in that route of, you know, you know. I think last year on the Major League side, they, they went power and nothing else with – the acquisitions of Soler and Alisa Garcia. And now this season, you kind of see them like, okay, we got to get the bat on the ball a little bit more. And as Eric said, there's players in this organization that that's their best skill is putting the bat on the baseball. And Nassim Nunez is a great example. Um, you know, a lot of other guys as well that are through this organization, that that's their biggest strength. And I think that that will be important wherever you play, but especially in a park like Lone Depot. And then, as we said, places like Beloit and Pensacola, really prepping players that, you know, that's the skill you need to hone in on. That's the skill you really need to succeed here. So, And don't forget that there are minor league rule changes
1: coming to the majors this upcoming year with limited pickoffs. Yeah. We saw that in full effect at the A level this past year. Mm-hmm. The, the physical leg speed of these guys and the base running ability was part of the equation, but also let's not forget that I think stolen bases were up about 30% across A with these limited pickoff rules and some of the other things that are added to incentivize base dealing and make it a more aesthetically appealing brand of baseball
0: yeah absolutely definitely more offense coming uh, you know major league baseball is going to do no shifts and all that other good stuff as well pitch clock all that stuff so yeah um definitely think that offense will increase because of these some of these changes that we saw at the double a level this year these guys are already used to it so yeah, um exciting. Um, exciting time for sure. Um, as we go forward here into 2023. Um, I asked you a little bit ago, Eric, about your most memorable moments. So we kind of agreed on a couple, uh, but you mentioned some that I did not include in the piece that I did. So I want to get your thoughts, maybe on the field or maybe off, just some moments other than the ones that we already talked about with winning the title. We talked about the the hit by pitch game where they won the game <laughs> after, like, what was it, four straight hit by pitches. Four straight hit by pitches, no hits in the entire inning. Yeah, you talked to me about the um about why why you think that was and everything else, which was great. But maybe some other moments that you could point out that you know really stood out, either on the field or off for Pensacola this year. Opening
1: day is always fun, and even though the Blue Wahoos lost on opening day, it might have been one of the best games I've ever seen in minor league baseball. Blue Wahoos lost to Biloxi thirteen to twelve in twelve innings, I believe. Uh, Yuri Perez started as an 18 year old. That was a lot of fun. And while he didn't have a perfect outing, we saw what had people all excited. So that was great. Blue Wahoos, who had just traded for Hayden Cantrell, they would go on to trade him a couple weeks later, but he was making his Blue Wahoos and Marlins organizational debut against the organization that had traded him. He hit, I believe, a a game tying three run homer late. Paul McIntosh homered in his first double A at-bat Blue Wahoos came oh so close to having a really really awesome finish trailing 13 to 12 in the bottom of the 12th and I might have the specific details wrong but Victor Victor Mesa with the bases loaded flied out to the warning track in left center and came just a couple feet away from a walk-off grand slam on opening night so even with a defeat that was a pretty thrilling game moving on to the walk-offs I tallied it up just to Uh, help out a a colleague of mine. He asked me how many walk-off wins we had this year, and it's fresh in my mind because it was just yesterday. We had nine walk-off wins, but only four of them were hits. So with the walk-off hit-by-pitches, we had uh, some walk-off sack flies, a walk-off error uh, in a game against Birmingham in August that was against a knuckleballing position player because the Barons had exhausted their entire bullpen. Uh, Just... Crazy things that happened at home. We had a walk-off win in our finale against Rocket City in, I want to say, mid-May that was after a three-hour rain delay on a Sunday afternoon. Blue Wahoos trailed after four innings, and then the, the rain came. But because it wasn't through five, it wasn't an official game yet. And it was our final time playing Rocket City in the regular season. So we just waited it out for two hours and 55 minutes Thank goodness this artificial turf drains like a rock garden because we were able to play. There weren't too many fans that stuck it out, and I can't blame them. But Blue Wahoo's stormed back, won it in a walk-off. That was a fun one. And then just, you know, all the playoff stuff was a lot of fun to see the fans here. You know, we didn't sell out those playoff games, but we were able to start from scratch in terms of ticket sales. So all the tickets we sold were dugout to dugout. And everyone who was there cared about baseball, right? Because you're buying those tickets, those playoff tickets on short notice. Everyone who was at that playoff game, game two, game three of the division series, and then game one of the championship series, they were there because they really cared. And you could tell when the Blue Wahoos came back in game two, when they won it in game three, you wouldn't know that it wasn't a sellout because this place was as loud as it had been all year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a good fan base down there um, as well. Whether The win or loss, um, you know, Danny, my, my co-host is not here today, but he had the chance to get there last year and he was really impressed with it, impressed with it. Or actually two years ago, sorry, 2021. Um, yeah. He was raved about it. Like best ballpark I've been to, best minor league park I've been to it was awesome. So um looks like a great experience. Of course, I plan to come up this year, so we'll see you guys then, but um, yeah. Uh, some great moments for you guys. Uh, really fun season. It was awesome to follow along with, like I said. Uh, and then the ending, of course, was even better. So uh, really cool. Um, look forward to more in this coming season. Um, the last one that I'll get to with you with the team, and then I'll get to some player specific before we get out for the day. But my last one that I have is I talked to, like I said, I talked to Sean a bit ago on the show. My last show on here was with Sean Reynolds and we talked about, you know, of course, minor leagues is about development. That's what you focus on is your development. And then winning. Yeah. Of course you want to win this player. You want to win competitor. You want to win, but really focusing on your v- development is what matters, right? Minor league level. So what he told us is, yeah, we're all focused on our development. We know that's why we're in the minor leagues. We know that's why we're here. We were serious about our development, but we want to win too. So, um, you know, they they really had that mindset of going out and winning every day, like while focusing on your development and, and making that important, they wanted to win baseball games. And as we saw, they won a championship. So He also said that, you know, this is not the first time we want to do this. We know it's double A, but you know, it was a great moment. And we want to have as many more moments like this um, as possible throughout our careers. So I just wanted to talk to you about maybe what you saw, how you saw that culture come out, maybe in the clubhouse uh, on the field too, maybe as you talked to players, how did you see that kind of come out balancing development, but also wanting to win games? Yeah. In the first half, again, it was a more veteran
1: group. We had guys like Colton Hawk who had been around for a while. And I think, just the act of having a defined closer suggests that you care about winning games. And that's something that many minor league teams on principle don't do. And we did have Eli Lobos and uh, Josh Simpson pick up some saves in the first half, but to have a guy that you rely on to try to win a game in the ninth inning, I think that just, I think that helps. It helps the fans understand the stakes of the game and it helps the bullpen uh, members know their roles. Some of these guys did win a championship in the Arizona fall league uh, a little more than a year ago. And so having the ring ceremony here in Pensacola in, in the early part of our season was a reminder that, yeah, these guys, some of them are used to winning and that's the expectation that the blue Wahoos had a lead in the division. They didn't storm back late in the first half to win that championship. They pretty much had it wire to wire that gave Those early first half games, a sense of importance that was, I think, really helpful to the guys who were here the entire season that, okay, the magic number is six. The magic number is four. The magic number is three to play those important games in June when at least the major league level, those games uh, don't take on an added importance that was good practice and uh, that you were able to celebrate a division championship in June and had the entire rest of the season to prepare for the playoffs. That I think helped us in a way that might not have been immediately apparent. Uh, but just speaking big picture, winning's more fun than losing, right? And so the blue Wahoos were able to avoid for the most part, getting in a really ugly skid and, That's a credit to the manager, Kevin Randall. It's a a credit to the people who constructed the roster, despite many challenges this year in terms of getting players on and off the taxi squad, having players come up from Beloit and then fly back from Beloit. That is, by the way, probably the most logistically challenging uh, transaction in the Marlins system. You've got some affiliates uh, that are reasonably close Jacksonville, Pensacola, Jupiter, but Beloit, Wisconsin, despite being a gorgeous place and a gorgeous ballpark with some great fans and great people, that is not the most convenient place to get to or from. So uh, that we were able to overcome all of those things and really come together at the right time speaks volumes about the leadership and the players who were able to make it happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, when they redrew after, after COVID um, obviously, you know, it makes sense with Quint owning both Beloit and um, in Pensacola, of course, and he does great things, you know, for the, for this work, for this Marlins organization. I have loved getting to know him as well. Really awesome guy uh, did great things in Pensacola, read his book about building communities. It's fantastic. Um, the guy's great. Uh, great steward for any community that he's a part of for sure. Um, but like Eric said, logistically, it was like, that's going to be pretty interesting when you got to call a guy up or send a guy back, maybe after only a couple games, maybe one game, even whatever it may be, uh, as we saw this year. So um, not easy to do. But as, as Eric said, being able to overcome things like that and variables that are in place and keep winning, I think, is is, is great and really important. Keep developing as well. So I think that's it's awesome. Credit to everybody involved, like Eric said. And Quint does listen to podcasts, so he'll be happy to hear you say that. He does. does. Yeah, I had him on. I had him on a show a little bit ago. Uh, But, yeah, he's great. Um, Anyways, um, great year, like I said, overall for for Pensacola. Looking forward to some great things permeate into 2023 for this team. Um, Get us some player-specific, and then we'll be done for the day, Eric. I know you're busy figuring things out up there. But um, let's talk about Yuri Paris. Um, You know, consensus top prospect in the Marlins organization. He's one of the top prospects in baseball. 19 years old. He'll be 20, I think, by opening day, if I'm not mistaken.
1: In 18- well, he was he was an 18-year-old when he pitched on opening day for us in early mm-hmm. April. I believe his birthday is in the latter half of April. So yeah. he'll turn 20 uh, just a couple weeks into this upcoming season. Yeah,
0: so not on opening day, but it'll be his age 20 season. Um, yep. And I don't think far away from, from Major League Baseball. I think he will be in spring training with the Marlins as an NRI. Um, and we'll see what he's got against big league guys, spring training or not. It'll be fun to see, uh, exactly how he stacks up, which I think is going to be pretty well, but you saw him all year or most of the year uh, while he was with you guys. He had, did have some injuries. He was down here in Jupiter for rehab and stuff like that as well. Nothing serious. Um, was able to rejoin you guys at the end of the season in the playoffs, of course, as well. So, um, talk to me about this pitcher, man. Um, how good is he? Why, why is he as good as he is? And ha- have you seen many other pitchers like him? No, I have not. I'll start with that one first. Uh, He is the most
1: physically impressive uh, pitcher that I've seen in the minors. And then you add the stuff to it, the repeatable delivery. uh, You can see why scouts are just salivating. And that's kind of who I lean on because Mm -hmm. I've watched a lot of baseball in my life, but I talk to the scouts who come. Pensacola is a very popular place for scouts, by the way, because we treat them well and who doesn't want to go to Pensacola. But when the scouts rave about Yuri Perez, what he can do, and just the growth that he had from his first double A start to where he was uh, mid season, end of season, there's reason to be excited. Uh, I talked to the catchers as well. Paul McIntosh was a great resource with that. Santiago Chavez as well. Um, you know, you hear the catchers talk about catching him and how easy he is to catch. I think it was Paul who said at some point early in the season that. You know, he's easy to catch because when he misses, he misses in the middle of the plate. He's sure. not spiking his pitches in the dirt and he's not, you know, he's not airmailing everyone to the backstop. Now, they worked on refining that because you don't want to be missing middle-middle to major league hitters, but at the same time, his stuff is so good, he can get away with it quite frequently. I, I think they wanted to see him work a bit more up in the zone. Uh, you know. Tunneling is kind of the buzzword right now and pitching where you have the the high fastball, and then you can drop the breaking pitch down for a strike. Dave Island helped him with a a slider that he added this year to great effect. So if you've got a guy who has four good pitches, uh, I didn't even mention his changeup, which Yuri says is his favorite pitch to throw. And it's my favorite uh, pitch to watch hitters try to hit. Uh, It's just, it's a really really fun combination the fact that he does still have that youthful energy that i hope he can hang on to for a while when he makes it to the major leagues and i'm i share your confidence that it's sooner rather than later the fans are going to love him because he's that type of guy and uh, hopefully he can be part of that next great marlins team because he's going to be a
0: lot of fun to watch for a long time yeah absolutely um i mean just just watching this guy throw and then like you said he's I was watching him throw and he was with Jupiter a couple of years ago and, and now he's adding another pitch. (laughs) Like, are you serious? Like crazy. Has that great curveball, 97 mile an hour fastball. Can basically sit 97 with a fastball changeup. As you said, is also advanced, well advanced for his age. And now he's adding a slider. Ridiculous. Um, (laughs) That's going to be crazy. Uh, It's going to be good. Um, As long as his health permeates. I mean, I know he went through that late season injury. I think it was just, from what I heard, just simple arm fatigue for him. I don't think it was anything too serious that he went through, um, was able to get back up with you guys to end the year. Um, So yeah, he's got, he's got health on his side as well as a young kid. So I'm really excited for that player. I know Danny, Danny, if he were here, he would tell you that, you know, he was excited about this player and he was pitching in the, in the complex league and he was Um, I really, really what I saw early on from him was I didn't see 100% repeatability and then he added it quickly. So he's able to get over anything that may hamper him fast. Right. So I think that's just super quick development, which is very encouraging.
1: Well, the one thing that I would add, and it's maybe just the inherent PR person inside of me, but turning a negative into a positive, you don't want someone coming through the minors, never having experienced difficulty, because then when they do at the major league level, you don't know how they're going to react. Right. Yuri was that guy before this year. He had just breezed through every level of affiliated professional baseball in his young career. Yeah. He got punched in the mouth a couple times this year. Most often it was just, you know, someone swinging first pitch, guessing right, and hitting a home run against him. That happens. But late in the season, I I think after the Futures game when he was the star of the show, uh, that he did encounter some difficulties and had to work through that physically and mentally. That will serve him well in
0: the long run. I think this is a great point. Uh, To bring up, I mean, we see a lot of, a lot of players that get drafted, high school players that get, that get drafted, they come up and they're not used to failing. They're used to being the best at what they do all the time. And then you look at, okay, you kind of want to see how they're going to handle failure, right. And get through it. So I think it's a good point to bring up that it's important for a player to go through success, of course, but also very important to see how they deal with failure. So, especially in a game like baseball, where you're going to fail a lot of the time, pitcher or hitter don't matter. You're going to fail a lot of time in baseball. So, yeah Um,
1: and he's such a nice guy i think there was a concern at some point that maybe he didn't have quite that that bulldog mentality when he did encounter difficulty but that will come with time and uh i think as he gains an edge he'll become even more dangerous because he will be able to lock in and really reach back for that little extra that the best pitchers have i think he has that in him
0: yeah absolutely really excited for that kid um Going to be awesome. Whether he starts with you guys again or Triple A, who knows? I, I don't think it's far away for him to to join the major league team at all. Um, next one, Dax Holton. Um, I really like this guy. Uh, this is probably my second favorite pitching prospect in the organization, if I had to pick. And I don't like to pick tops, but this is probably my second favorite pitching prospect in the organization um, that has many great pitching prospects. Um, huge, tall lefty. He's got a hammer curveball. Good fastball, changeup. I like this kid a lot. Really deceptive in his delivery because of how high he throws the ball from. That's the kind of things that I like to point out in a player like this. Big, tall, strong kid. Did go through some injuries, problems. Um, But I think this guy's going to be very, very, very good. Um, Really like this guy. So talk to us about Dax. Uh, I know he was with you guys for a bit there at the end of the season. So at that 13 strikeout game there in the playoffs, as he talked about, crazy. Um, Yeah, Dax, go ahead.
1: I'm impressed by his growth. You know, here's another guy who, like Yuri Perez, is very young uh and is encountering a lot of things for the first time. And his double A debut, he made multiple throwing errors, fielding his position. Uh wasn't really a great debut for him. But after the first couple innings, he left the dugout very quietly, went into the clubhouse. It's not my business or anyone else's what he did in the clubhouse, but when he came back, uh, you know, he was still in the game and he finished that debut outing strong, which I think really speaks to his resilience and his character. Uh, The 13 strikeout playoff performance was the best that I have seen anyone pitch really all year. But it bested only by a hair, a previous Fulton pitching performance. I want to say it was on the road in Chattanooga in Early September, late August, early September, where he allowed, I think, one hit, and it was a hit that was changed retroactively by the hometown official scorer who might not have wanted his team to uh, get no hit by a teenager. So uh, that's another thing where Dax Fulton has that in him, uh, and that he was able to finish his first year at double A in such a, a strong manner is really encouraging for what's to come. Uh, I had a chance to speak with him just a couple times. Again, he showed up in uh, the final few weeks of the year. But I would ask him a simple, open-ended question, and maybe he was just putting on an act, but I don't think so. He seemed excited to analyze himself. Uh, He was very loquacious and uh, really seemed to have an analytical mind that helps him know himself. To thine own self be true, right? I think that's a characteristic that many pitchers don't have, and you can make that work for yourself. Don't think, just pitch. But Dax Fulton, I think, is a thinker, and that makes me excited about where he can grow from his natural gifts as he gets really good uh, education and coaching in the upper levels of the minors.
0: I think this is a great segue to one of my last ones to ask you about. You talk about thinking and being scientific. Um, you think Dax has it. I think the next guy I want to talk to you about exemplifies it, Troy Johnston. So mm-hmm. Troy Johnston, um, was with you guys in the first half and went up to triple a, this guy is awesome. Um, really great person, as I'm sure, you know, um, older, a little bit older, you know, like you said, you had those older players there in the, um, in the first half, you know, it's kind of a more, an older group, of course, uh, got younger as the season went along, but for Troy, um scientific hitter all the way through. He, he described himself to me as a cage rat when he was younger, just always being around hitting, learning the ins and outs of hitting. And in this organization, I think it is just so important to have a guy like this around for not only himself, but for other players to maybe pick the brain up because he's great at what he does at the plate. Great approach. Fantastic. Good swing, unique stance um, that he maybe throws some pitchers off with the way he sets up. But I really like this player. I was stunned when they did not protect him in the Major League Rule 5. Thankfully, he is still here. So talk to me about Troy Johnston. When he went through his hot stretch
1: uh, in late May, early June, I don't think there was anyone in baseball, minors or majors, who was seeing the ball better than he was. And we said something to that effect every time he delivered an eighth or ninth inning big hit because it was like clockwork. He would come up, he would come through with a big hit, uh, there were times when it was a home run out to right center. There were times that it was a a missile line drive down the left field line, but he came through and talk about someone who has an all fields approach. That was his strength because when you've got a guy like that, you can't really pitch against him. He would tell you that his one weakness is beneath the bottom of the zone. Sometimes he would chase, but when he was seeing the ball, well, he was laying off those pitches. Pitchers had to throw him a strike and he was just hitting it hard. I think, you know, just reading what some other people have written about Troy, there's a thought that he might not have enough power to stay at first base and all that. I don't know if that's true, but I think that there's room in anyone's organization for someone who can hit the ball as well and as professionally as Troy Johnston, that he has very uh, quickly acclimated to first base and become a pretty good first baseman uh, speaks to his work ethic. And uh, I'm glad that the Marlins are going to be able to keep him around because that is their game. Uh, That's an organization that at the top might have an opportunity, uh, even in a part-time role for a first baseman. And I think that Troy Johnston could be that guy because um, he's going to do, provided he stays healthy, he's going to do what he's done his entire career, and that is hit.
0: Absolutely. Um, I I mean, the one thing he didn't have or didn't have much of and I came along late, I think he came into it pretty well, especially hitting where he has with power. Um, and I think he's done. I think he's I think he's filled that gap advantageously and I think he will continue to do so. But even if he doesn't, like Eric said, um, it's important to have a hitter like this around the team. And he definitely has a place with a major league baseball team, in my opinion. Cool. What That's do cool. players do
1: at their best? That's an important question. What are players doing when they're not seeing the ball? Well, that's also an important question. And I think if you answer those questions of Troy, both answers come off pretty flattering at his best. We saw what he can do. He can hit with power to all fields. He gets on base, even when he's in a slump. And we saw that as he dealt with some minor nagging injuries. And then in his first taste of triple A he still gets on base. He still has a great approach at the plate. He takes his walks. He puts together professional at bats. He makes pitchers work. There's value in that too, because it's not always going to be sunshine and roses. And uh, I think Troy Johnston has the approach to be resilient through
0: a cold streak or two. Absolutely. Awesome. My second to last one before we go for today is PMAC, um, undrafted free agent comes to the Marlins. Um, was good through his brief time in Jupiter. Of course, he was playing against younger guys there. Goes up to the Wahoos this year. I mean, I I honestly think I saw him in spring training for the first time on the backfields. And I think this is one of the strongest guys in the organization, personally. I was seeing him take low and away sliders, pull side off of the fences on the backfields, which are not close. (laughs) They're big backfields here in Jupiter. Um, But yeah, I want to talk about Paul McIntosh. I think his offense is very good. Catching? you can tell me about what you think of him as a catcher. I think he may move to first base. That being said, I like this guy's offense. I really, really do. I know he went through injury late in the season, but undrafted guy and the Marlins got, I think, really good value here. Um, and his story is great. I talked to him earlier this season, a uh, really great story. So talk to us about Mac. Love Mac. Great guy, uh, quiet leadership,
1: I think mm-hmm. is the best way to describe what he does, but he was always first in last out. And uh, other teammates, I think, take notice of that over the course of a long season. I don't know if anyone worked harder in terms of improving his perceived efficiencies than Paul. He was in here early, you know, working on his throwing from the catching position, working on his blocking. And, you know, these aren't tennis balls that he's using. These are actual baseballs. So to ask someone going through their first full minor league season, catching four or five times a week, to also go through the added drills that take their own physical toll on the body. I think that is a big ask. It's part of the job when you're playing professional sports, but not something that should be discounted. It's not just the innings, the mileage that he got in game. It was all the extra work that he did to try to get him up to speed as a catcher. And we did see improvement over the course of the season. I think if the Marlins, uh, wanted to see what he would look like at first base they would have put him at first base at some point this year but they're trying their hardest and paul is trying his hardest to stick as a catcher uh because that's where he was all season long and if he can stick as a catcher that bat will play you talked about his power great power to all fields uh he's a tough out when he hits the ball he tends to hit it hard uh I think there's a lot to like there. And if he can become a major league regular, it's going to be a great underdog story. One of the best that uh, I've heard in a long time because of where he came from and because of what he's overcome even to get this far.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Um, It's it's a good point to make that spent all season at catcher. They didn't put him anywhere. I think he DH a little bit. That's it. Um, They didn't put him anywhere else. Um, I think he took his lumps a lot. I mean, this guy got beat up back there. He really did. Um, Unfortunately, he ended the season kind of early. He was injured. As Eric pointed out before, I think. Will Banfield started all six playoff games
1: for us behind the plate. Threw out five of six base dealers. Was an offensive weapon. And uh, that's another guy that people shouldn't sleep on. Will Banfield, I would guess, he'll probably start this upcoming season here in Pensacola, maybe as our regular everyday catcher. And uh, again, we talked about him briefly uh, a little bit ago, but... Defense has always been there. And if he can add the bat that we saw the final few weeks of
0: the regular season,
1: that's another really intriguing player to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. His defensive pedigree is fantastic. Just needs to figure it out at the plate a little bit. If he can, gonna be real good. Um, Definitely a guy that can stick at catcher for sure. Just needs to figure it out at the plate a little bit, but yeah, um, good stuff there. Um, Like I said, PMAC took his lumps, but I think he um, he dealt with it Um, and uh, hopefully his back next season in better shape, uh, continue doing what he does but yeah that's what we can say about paul my last one eric for today this has been an awesome show i really appreciate everything of course um but my last one to talk about is nasim nunez um nasim nunez probably one of the fastest guys in the organization if not first definitely okay. second um awesome awesome glove in the field really good glove uh, this guy is fantastic in the field um, not a lot of power, as we talked about before. But Nasim, I think he did hit a home run with you guys, as we talked about before. Maybe a couple. Forget. picked I've, a good time uh, for it in the playoffs. Yeah, ahead, so. the
1: eighth inning. Yeah,
0: yeah. Hit his, hit his first professional home run earlier this year too. So, yeah. Um, that being said, um, Nasim Nunez really, really good. Um, I think this is definitely the best defensive shortstop the Marlins have in the system. Amongst there are good ones. I think this is the best that they have. Speed off the charts. Um, Bat-to-ball, I think, is good as well. Little power, but this is a guy you can put at the top of an order and count on him to get on base and turn it into a double at any time, so at least. So talk to us about Nunez. Um, Go ahead. Great guy. uh, Very outgoing, good
1: leader. Confident in his ability without being annoying about it, which is a (laughs) a delicate line for a professional athlete. But he knows what he can do, and uh, he knows the value he brings to an organization. And uh, that's fun to see someone like that grow as a player and as a person. Uh, Great speed, aggressive base stealer, and it's beyond the raw speed. I think he's a very smart, intelligent base stealer that is probably just as important. If you ask guys like Ricky Henderson, it's about the intuition as much as it is just your straight-line speed. Uh, Really incredible defense. Again, I I trust more the people – who see different teams and different players over the course of many other years, when scouts are saying, that's a really impressive shortstop, he could play shortstop in the major leagues tomorrow. I believe them. And I saw plenty of plays that would back that up. Uh, He handled this artificial turf well, and he handled the natural grass on the road. Uh, I was just the other day actually working on a little highlight video for him, and that'll come out on Twitter at some point, but just watch some of his moves. There were some where the, uh, minor league camera operators, not our guys. Our guys are great. Our guys and gals on the production crew do an outstanding job. But some of these visiting teams productions, they just couldn't keep up with what Nas was doing. The camera pans and loses the baseball and finds it again because they didn't expect Nassim Nunez to make the play that he just made. So uh no, he was a lot of fun to watch in the field. And I mentioned before just his ability to get on base, even when he's not hitting the ball well. Uh, that makes you a very dangerous player on base is, I think now getting to be a point where it's accepted in the mainstream. That wasn't always the case, say 20 years ago, but uh, someone who can draw walks, who can beat out infield hits, can drop down a bunt or two if need be. That's something that is uh, exciting and
0: appealing to an organization. Absolutely. Uh, Nascene is a good guy. Uh, really excited for that player as well. All right, man. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, again, Eric, I want to thank you so much for your time taken today with me as you're at work, figuring things out there for the upcoming next two weeks where you guys have an awesome event coming up. If you guys are in the Pensacola area or traveling to the Pensacola area, really encourage you guys to go hang out with Eric and the crew out at Pensacola as baseball season gets closer. They're having their annual Fish Fest uh, out in Pensacola. So they're planning it now. Looks to be a fun event. There's some details, of course, on Twitter and on blueahos.com that you guys can check out. you're interested tickets are free um go hang out and talk some baseball with eric and his crew out there in pensacola players uh they expect to have some players uh as well so um yeah go go hang out with eric and the guys out there for free definitely going to be a fun time and tell them we said what's up uh but that's what i got for you today eric uh really appreciate it again um and again uh, of course as we know eric can be heard all year during the season on espn pensacola and of course uh, through MILB TV during home games, like check them out on there as well. So Eric, man, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your friendship. It's been awesome getting to know you. Um, and, uh, we'll see you soon in this coming season. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah. Fish Fest is going to be
1: on January 19th from six to eight central here at Blue Wahoo stadium. We'll be announcing our player guests here, uh, in the coming days. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff. I'll be doing some Q&A sessions. You can get a home clubhouse tour, take some cuts in the cage, hang out on the field. We're going to have some game-used jerseys and caps in the team store, as well as potentially unveiling some new jerseys, some new looks for us in 2023. So that'll be fun. It's all part of our mission to improve the lives of people in our community. And that's a year-round effort for us with the Blue Wahoos. So uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, Now that we're in the new year, it's fun to talk about what's to come in 2023. And I have no doubt that it's going to be another great success for the Blue Wahoos on and off the field.
0: Maybe Eric will teach a dance class at Fish Fest too. I'm praying for that one. (laughs) Anyways, that's what we we got. We
1: have to get into the third hour of the rain delay for that to happen. That was the three-hour rain delay I was talking about.
0: Yeah, I guess that's when the dance moves come out within three hours (laughs) into a delay. But, yeah, man, uh, appreciate it again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next time on Swimming Upstream.